It's a winter morning in the year 2025, and as the sun slips above the Sierra Nevada mountains, residents of California's Central Valley are anxious. Overnight, the region was rocked by a magnitude 7.5 earthquake. Now, the early morning daylight has begun to reveal large cracks in walls and ceilings, scattered debris, and broken water lines. Firefighters and paramedics respond to emergency calls as the smell of gas and smoke hangs thick in the air. Residents inspect their properties, check on neighbors, and worry about aftershocks. In the midst of this devastation, most are unaware of the looming potential for a compound catastrophe. Inside one of the many dams nestled high in the Sierra Nevada, operators are making frantic phone calls. Torrential rain and snowfall during the preceding months has already swollen the reservoir well beyond its normal capacity. Now there are significant questions of whether the quake has stressed the structure's integrity. Finding answers will be difficult. Inspectors must cross a narrow quarter-mile tunnel that runs under the dam to scrutinize any damage to the concrete and to ensure that the four closure gates located at the end of it are still properly sealed. Given the uncertain structural condition, it is far too dangerous to send people into the conduit, but a rapid assessment is needed to prevent a possible failure that could flood thousands of Valley residents already reeling from the earthquake. As the tension grows, the phone rings with a solution. The U.S. Army Corps of Engineers is bringing the DAMBOT, a semi-autonomous robot developed by the U.S. Army Engineer Research and Development Center that enables safer inspections of dam outlet works structures. It will rapidly provide inspectors high-quality images and allow them to thoroughly and safely analyze any damages caused by the quake so they can make necessary mitigations. The U.S. Army Corps of Engineers oversees more than 700 dams and more than half of them are beyond their expected design life and require regular inspections and maintenance. Many of these are earthen dams and feature outlet works structures, including tunnels that can be up to a half mile long. Construction materials are vulnerable to corrosion and fatigue issues that could compromise the system's structural integrity and put personnel entering the tunnel in jeopardy. Responding to a need, Erdic developed a robotic system capable of producing extremely detailed models of these outlet works systems. With custom design sensors, high resolution cameras, LiDAR, and a robotic arm mounted on an unmanned ground vehicle, DamBot gives inspectors a first look inside dam outlet works without exposing human operators to unknown conditions. I'm Megan Holland, and with Chris Kiefer, this is The Power of Erdic. Our guests today are Dr. Anton Nechev and Dr. Julie Rosati. Anton is a research computational scientist at Erdic's Information Technology Laboratory and principal investigator for the DAMBOT team. Julie is a technical director at Erdic's Coastal and Hydraulics Laboratory, overseeing Erdic's Civil Works Research and Development Area. We will talk with Julie and Anton about how Erdic is enabling better and safer dam inspections, protecting the lives of not only inspectors, but also of millions of Americans in the communities they serve. Anton, Julie, thank you all so much for joining us today. I want to start off, Anton, just to kind of bring this problem home for people that aren't necessarily dam experts. Tell us about earthen dam closure gates and how common are they and what makes inspecting them so difficult? So uh, earthen dams are very common uh, in the United States. They're the, one of the most common dams. There's also concrete dams. Uh, a lot of those are hydroelectrical dams. So uh, earthen dams have uh, closure gates. They're part of what's called outlet works, and they're used to regulate the level of the lake. 
by opening and closing these gates. Usually there's three of them at the end. That's what I have seen. I've been to a lot of them. And some of those dams uh, gates also have backup gates in the back of them. They are usually located either all the way through the dam, so on the other side, hundreds of meters uh, distance through a dark uh, tunnel, which is partially submerged a lot of times as well. And these gates are usually located at the bottom of a, called a gatehouse. And you, if you walk up to a dam, you'll see it as a little house that's sitting uh, on top of the water. And if you go all the way down, all the way to the bottom of the lake, there's going to be those gates. And very rarely they're located in the center of the dam as well. Uh, make it for some complications there as well. They don't make it easy. Why do they have to be? I mean, obviously you've got to inspect dams, infrastructure in general, but why do you have to, what, what are they looking for? Why do you have to inspect these closure gates? So these closure gates, because they used to regulate the dam, one of the common failures of the dam is when the dam overtopples. An earthen dam, when it overtopples, it washes away uh, the soil and compromises the dam. So the worst thing that can happen to a dam is overtoppling. So as a computer engineer, <laughs> that's what I understand. There's also emergency spillways for this not to happen. So emergency spillway is basically when the water comes up high enough to start overtoppling the dam, instead of that, it's going to spill through the emergency spillway. So the inspection of these conduits, because they're the main regulation method, is extremely important. So if that doesn't work, we can't regulate the uh, level of the lake. And if you have any kind of rain event, it basically is going to get full. A lot of times these conduits are open continuously and there's a river downstream. So you also regulate a, a habitat as well. So there's fish, there's other animals. So not only uh, is there a habitat downstream, uh, there's also the loss of infrastructure and loss of life that can happen if these dams fail. So a lot of times we only have a certain window to even go in this because we can't turn off water to a river or it will dry up right. fairly quickly. So a lot of times the window is like two hours for inspections. So I'm going to be honest. I don't think that it ever occurred to me that there were different types of dams. For people like me who aren't familiar with this, what exactly is an earthen dam and why would you choose to do that rather than a concrete dam? So earthen dams are earth embankment. Uh, they may have a part that's concrete as well uh, on the end of it, but as a again, computer engineer, uh, they're built because availability of materials, most likely. Uh, so they use dirt. It's easier. It's, it's less expensive. Cheaper, it's right? aggregate. Uh, there's various aggregate that's uh, okay. piled up to make a large earthen dam that can be fairly long as well. We don't discount concrete dams. Uh, if they have conduits, we can go there as well. But mm -hmm. usually those are uh, have hydroelectric systems in there, so they're, they're built a little bit differently. Okay, and how did you get into this research? How did this effort start? So this re research began as part of uh, Flood and Coastal Systems Research Area Review Group, so RARC. They, uh, a lot of districts, a lot of personnel from all the districts all uh, comes to Erdic. And they discuss what are the needs right now. So they put the needs, they uh, describe the need, and then they are ranking stacked to figure out what's most important. And that was chosen as one of the important ones. So there was, uh, how do we inspect this infrastructure? Specifically, the gates themselves, a conduit is kind of like a bonus that we're adding to it. Uh, and how do we make that repeatable as well? So because of that, uh, RARG, we got the statement of need. Uh, there was a small seed funding that came out of that to go see what the problem is actually about. So uh, 
Julie funded us around $50,000 to go and travel around and ask experts, what is the problem? How does inspection usually work? What does it look like? As robotics engineers or computer engineers, mechanical engineers, we are not, I, that's the first dam I've been into. I don't, I don't think anybody can say, like, I just been in a dam inside of a condo. That's not something you usually do. Right. You, <laughs> like me, work in the information technology laboratory, and nobody really thinks, like, IT dam inspection. It's, yeah. It doesn't always go hand in hand. It does not. And going into these, um, it was fairly cool experience. You go into this conduit, and by the time you are by the gates, you can't even see the exit. And it's pitch darkness. So I just turned off the light for myself a little bit to see what that felt like. It's a surreal experience. You can feel uh, the water moving through. They have little bypass gates open. And you can feel the dam almost like rumpling. It was a very, very surreal experience to be in there. For people, I guess, who don't fully understand Erdic structure and, and maybe wonder, how did you get involved with this, as you just said, as, as a computer scientist in the information technology lab? But it's kind of where some of the strength of Erdic is, is you have this problem on the civil work side, you know, involving dams and infrastructure, your expertise is more, I guess, from the robotics. And, and, and so you and the team came together to develop this robot that helps with the problem in, in a completely different area. Yeah, we, we approached the problem from a robotic standpoint of view that wanted an inspection platform. What does that look like? So we broke the problem apart into several steps. So the steps will be, first of all, if you want to inspect the gate, you have to get to it. Uh, getting to it was not trivial. The, every dam is different. Every time we go somewhere, we have to write out a plan of how, plan of attack, how do we get to the actual gate. That plan of attack can be used for later for every time of that, but it has to be done once for every structure. We had to make a vehicle or buy a vehicle that can do that. And just now we're getting the devices that can help us inspect the actual gate, and that's three years on. So you, there's a lot of development that happened between uh, then and now. And I want to get in a minute more into exactly that and then Dan Biden's capabilities. But Julie, to kind of bring you in to this and, and as we kind of start as, in talking about this problem and earthen dam closure gates and inspecting them, Anton mentioned that you had provided the initial funding to get this going. Tell us from your perspective this problem, how big it is, and what elevated this solution that led to the funding. Yeah, um, that's a good question. It, um, the way the process works is the needs as Anton mentioned, are submitted through our civil works statement of need process. And we get about 100, 150 of these in a year. So we get a lot of them. And then they're reviewed by communities of practice and civil works and ranked and stacked. And then they go through this research area review group process, as Anton mentioned, to really identify the most critical needs in the core civil works business areas, basically. And this one rose to the top because it's really a threat to life safety when these inspectors have to go in these, these culverts and these dam conduits and inspect these gates, inspect those closure structures in really hazardous environments, especially as this infrastructure is getting older and older. It's really past its design life. So they're, you know, we, we expect them to start to need a lot more repairs and a lot more uh, potential for failure. And so it's really a threat to the humans that have to go in and do these inspections. Mm -hmm. So Anton and his team have developed a system that really 
you know, let's the humans stay safe and they can do some preliminary scoping and find out, is it safe to enter these, these areas before they actually have to go in and, and possibly, in some cases, do some of that personal inspection of different areas in there. So it's really been a, a really great success story for our civil works mission areas. And aging infrastructure has been in the headlines a lot lately. This is a massive problem that the United States is facing. This is a solution for at least one piece of that, right? Yeah, and I think we were developing this with a greater picture in mind. So this platform runs Erdic-based, Erdic-developed code base, we call it the robotic stack. And that stack can operate other robots for other infrastructure inspections. So this could lead to... Uh, inspections of other assets as well. So we don't have to limit ourselves to dams, but this was a way in to start developing this because it requires a huge investment in terms of labor and cost. Uh, Robotics are not cheap. Tell us more about the DamBot and what its capabilities are. DamBot is based on a platform. It's the Argo J8 platform. This platform has been around for a very long time uh, to drive humans. It used to, it has a diesel engine sometimes in it, and up to six, I think, people can sit in it. They recently redesigned it for robotics application. I think Argo was trying to enter the robotics space for the military and become a programmer record for uh, robotics there. When we scoped it out, we were looking for a vehicle that is amphibious. So because uh, a lot of these uh, conduits are partially submerged, we need to be able to swim into them. And we also need to bring quite a bit of payload on there. So we can't just swim. We have to be stable. We have to be able to put a computational system on top of a robotic arm on top of it, lights on top of it, so on and so forth. So we were looking for a vehicle that can do all that and still maneuver in water. a lot of them can float swimming is a whole different uh subject even our platform can only swim at around five miles an hour max Uh, that's the spec we've tested this in uh, some more facilities Erdic has some fantastic facilities to do this kind of testing so we've tested it we know exactly what's the capabilities of the robot so that's the platform the platform can run for eight hours straight So we've done this with soldiers and with our um, civil works folks as well. So what we can do is we can go out to a dam, drive through it, come back, put it in a trailer, go to the next one. In Texas there, we've been to two that are about 30 minutes away from each other. So we can do two in a day, let's say. Okay. Uh, And it does not require 10 people from the district and an ambulance for emergencies, fire department to get people out. You just send the robot in, do a preliminary inspection, and see if you need to do a further in-person inspection. Because we're not trying to replace the mm-hmm. people, but we want to provide a repeatable data set that we can maybe send to our uh, subject matter experts across the United States to do a virtual walkthrough, for example. So when they send a human in to do this kind of investigation, they have emergency people on site in case anything goes wrong? There's always has to be an emergency plan, and some emergency plans involve emergency vehicles, yes. So if uh, somebody gets hurt, you have to be able to get them out of the conduit. To get to the conduit is not always simple, so you have a person crane to lift people out. So if you get hurt, how do you come out? You always have to have a plan for that. And this plan, in some places, includes emergency vehicles, emergency personnel. Beyond that, so obviously we've covered one of the big benefits of this is, is safety. The most important benefit of this But beyond that, my impression from talking to you is the data that it provides is also higher quality probably than what you can just get if it's a person previously, what maybe would be a person going in, taking pictures and and making notes. So now you're getting that and then you've got 
data that can be stored, you compare it over time. I mean, talk about it. It seems like it's a win-win-win, you know, beyond just the safety factor. Yeah, so when we drive in, we have a lot of state-of-the-art equipment there to produce the imagery that we do. So usually when a human walks in, uh, they either have a point-and-shoot camera with them or a cell phone. They also have a notebook. So you write down how far you walked into the dam. That's Repeatability can suffer because of that. I'm not saying that we have a lot of issues with that. I'm saying that you know over time, mistakes can be made and there's an issue there. We also have to bring a ladder all the way to the end of the uh, conduit to actually climb on these gates wow. and look around them. Uh, that's fairly dangerous as well. In the dark, too. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they have headlamps and lamps that we bring in when we do inspections, but uh, it's still a hazardous environment. The water flow could be so quick it can sweep you off your feet. Yeah. Some of these gauges don't seal fully, so you have water leaking still past it. And I think there are some pictures floating around uh, to show us drive up to one of these gates that has a, a water flow issue where humans can even walk up to it. When, when we come in, we have lighting set up on the robot specifically to create uh, very well exposed imagery. Mm -hmm. uh, this imagery can be walked through just like Google Maps. Think about clicking next, next spot, next spot, and you can look all the way around. You can do it in virtual environments, you can do it on your computer. And while we do that, we're also reconstructing this in three-dimensional world. So you create like a, a 3D model of what you're looking at. This data, year to year to year, you said we can look for changes, but we also can start adding some AI ML methods to detect cracks, to track crack growth formations, to detect uh, spalding, which is when concrete falls off of uh, rebar. Uh, we can start trying to detect upheaving, so the, uh, the conduit itself sinking or uh, swelling up. I don't know if that actually happens. I think it'll sink. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Changing shape uh, and detecting uh, various things that happen year to year to year. And you mentioned that this doesn't replace the inspector. So how, how, what would they do? They would then take this initial data and then they can figure out what needs to be mitigated and, and, and how to build off of that? Yeah, so they can look at this data and say, do we need to walk in at all? Mm -hmm. Is there any issues there that we need to put our hands on uh, this structure? Is there any data missing? So uh, it gives them that understanding so they don't have to walk in blind. Not sure. knowing that. They also can make a plan of what they're going to look at. They can figure out what equipment they need to bring with them. So instead of going in once, writing down notes, then going in a second time with the equipment, for example, uh, NDT equipment, non-destructive testing equipment mm -hmm. that, that they bring sometimes, you will know what you need uh, on your main trip. Julie, what excites you the most about this project? From my perspective, I'm just, so excited that, about the innovation that this team has developed. In Civil Works, as you all know, we're, we're trying to help the public, um, whether that's the communities in our nation or whether it's our district division offices that support those communities. We are really a customer-driven program. So we're really you know, looking to deliver tools and products and advancements that really make a difference in practice. And I mean, that is what Anton and his team have done with the DamBot system. And to me, it's really exciting that there was this need that came from the field, the people that are actually have these problems um, that affect their daily life. And in this case, it was the districts, but, you know, dams affect humans that live around the dams too, the, the communities as well. So there was this need, it came from the grassroots um, need through the statement of need process. And then Anton and his his colleagues have this multi-laboratory team. So it's taking the strengths of ERDIC across our enterprise. Mm -hmm. And they developed this research proposal. You know, first they went out and really sought to understand the problem by visiting these sites. Uh, because as Anton mentioned, you know, he's a 
computer scientist, and and so he has that strength, but he he doesn't understand the system. So he and his team went out and really understood the problem um, more, and then they developed this research proposal, and now they're executing it, and they've been demonstrating it through um, doing these inspections and uh, kind of getting some feedback for, about how well it works in delivering this product that's going to improve day-to-day operations, improving the quality of the inspection data, and reducing the risk to inspectors, as well as improving life safety for those people that need to do the inspections in the communities that live around them. Because as uh, Anton just mentioned, the quality of the data is much improved. um, And we can look at the time history and really detect those types of changes that may impact the integrity of these systems that a person might not be able to see just from the eye. The DAMBOT improves our day-to-day operations, um, both in terms of the quality of the inspection data, which increases safety for the inspectors, as well as the communities that live around those systems. Because if you've got better data, you understand the changes to the system and the integrity that, that maybe the human eye cannot detect. Yeah. And Julie, you, of course, sit in Washington, D.C., where you oversee Erdic's Civil Works Research and Development Area. Looking from a high level, what kind of feedback have you heard about the DAMBOT and its impact? Yeah, it's been well-received. I think Anton and his team have, have really embraced the Erdic uh, Discover, Develop, Deliver, Sustain, and Connect. So they're in the process of delivering this tool, demonstrating it. And that's exactly what the Chief of Engineers, Lieutenant General Spellman, has asked us to do, is really work with our district division partners and test out these new innovations that we have and research to deliver them and, and find ways to sustain it and connect it to the communities and the, you know, the practitioners in the core as well as the other folks that can really use these types of advances. And he's doing that. Anton, where has the DAMBOT, and I just have to say that's a great name, by the way. We <laughs> like to say that a lot in ITL. It feels like you're cursing every time you say it. It's become kind of like a fun little inside joke between um, some people in ITL. But where has the DAMBOT been used or demonstrated so far? Uh, so we've demonstrated DAMBOT at a couple of sites right now. It's going to grow very quickly this year. But uh, one of them is Blue Mountain Dam in Arkansas, still house dam in Texas. And we've deployed different sensors that we, they are in DAMBOT and Mojave Dam in California and Walters Dam in Pennsylvania. So we collaborate very closely with UCSD. Uh, they are experts in imaging systems. And, and that's University of California, San Diego. Yes, correct? sir. Uh, that's right. Uh, so our collaborators help us develop certain sensor aspects. We've demonstrated those. We've demonstrated smaller robotic systems. As I said before, we are developing a stack. DAMBOT runs that stack. That stack can be run on other robots. So we can have smaller robots, bigger robots, different types of robots that do other tasks. So we demonstrate smaller ones uh, at Mojave Dam in California as well. So so far, four locations, but we're planning on going to Texas again very soon, next month or so. We plan on going to Arizona in January uh, and do a little trip across the California uh, while we're there with the larger system. And you mentioned your collaborators. Who are they? Uh, we collaborate all across Erdic and uh, with a couple of universities. T- to really give a shout out, uh, there's a lot of robotics uh, programs going on. We all work together. That's 
really is fantastic that Erdi can bring together multiple laboratories with multiple skill sets to develop robotics. Robotics doesn't have like a degree. There's, you have to choose a path. Are you going to be a mechanical engineer, electrical engineer, computer engineer, computer scientist, uh, systems engineer? There's all these people that are required to make to design a robot. You truly have to be multidisciplinary. So we bring in together folks from Searle that are working on a robotic engineer operations, RIA program. And that's the construction engineering research lab in Illinois. Yes, uh, and we bring in GRL, who are geospatial folks. Um, They're in Alexandria, Virginia, just yep. for, you know, for listeners oh, yeah, who aren't yeah, yeah, familiar. Yeah. Uh, and uh, of course, uh, Coastal Hydraulics Laboratory here. Uh, we use their expertise in dam inspections and their connections across uh, the districts. I think the only lab we haven't brought in there is Krell, but we're working on doing so. Cold, cold robotics? There's, a, there's an <laughs> open door there. Yeah, Krell is the cold regions laboratory. How have you all collaborated with USACE districts on this effort? So we started with Philadelphia districts. We went to a lot of dams there and created the initial plan for entry for multiple dams. There's quite a lot of them in the foothills there. Um, we reached out to Los Angeles District, the Fort Worth, Little Rock, Portland districts. Uh, we work with all of them. We are working on reaching out to other districts as we speak uh, and trying to see what are their needs. I think I said this before, but every dam is different. So we have to work with the district folks. We have to work with the people on the ground that actually enter these dams mm -hmm. to create the plan of entry. Ask them which dams are most needed. Uh, we are planning to go to Alamo Dam. That dam has not been inspected for, what I understand, 30 years. Uh, the last inspection report I've seen is from 92, I think. Where is that, you said? Uh, that's in Arizona, okay. Alamo Dam. Uh, that's part of Los Angeles district. To take our robot there and provide the, provide the data to inspect it would be extremely useful. And they've told us, specifically picked out that dam. And we talked to them, how about you go visit Alamo Dam? I, I thought it would be in Texas because of Alamo, but yeah, it, yeah. <laughs> it's definitely in Arizona. And uh, we kind of asked, why would you want us to inspect them? First of all, it's a, a unique dam because it has the gates in the center of the structure. Hmm. Uh, second, it's a very, very large structure. It's in the middle of nowhere. It, it takes a gravel road about an hour away from any highway. Wow. Uh, but they have inspected in a long time. There's issues with hydrogen sulfide leaking into the conduit, so they don't want to send people there anyway. And because the gates are in the center of the dam, the last part of the conduit is usually flooded. So nobody has mm. seen it in a very, very long time. So we're going to block off the uh, Los Angeles district is going to hire contractors to block off the water flow. And us and some other inspection personnel, we're going to go in there and create a imagery and the three-dimensional representation of that dam for future inspections. So if they forgot to see something, they're going to be able to see it quickly on our 3D presentation. Huh. You mentioned blocking off the water, and obviously this is a special situation where you have to do it, but one of the things I know from talking to you beforehand is that is, I guess, one another benefit that the dam bot prevents from having to happen a lot. Sometimes, I guess, the, the old way of inspecting, you would have to kind of drain out the water and close the dam, which is pretty expensive to take it offline. Is that... I, right. I don't think it's expensive. I think it's uh, sometimes you can't do it because they're releasing water at a certain rate. Sometimes you have time uh, that you have allotted to be able to close it down. If there's fish downstream, I think two hours was the maximum in Philadelphia that can close off. So you have two hour spurts that you can do any mm -hmm. kind of work mm -hmm. in there. What they can't do right now is that emergency gates, which are sitting behind the regular gates, both gates have to be closed when you come in there. But 
The emergency gate, you are not allowed to go in there when just the emergency gate is installed. That's, that's per rule. So uh, a robot is going to be able to look at, take a look at that emergency gate that hasn't been seen since the construction, usually, of the dam. Wow. So we're going to be able to make an assessment if that emergency gate is even safe. Mm-hmm. It's used to for safety, but is it safe itself? Yeah. That's the question. Yeah. Wow. And are there other agencies that could benefit from this technology outside the USACE districts and divisions? Absolutely. Some of the obvious benefits, and you have alluded to this, is DOE. DOE is in control of a lot of hydroelectric dams. They also have conduits, they also concrete. Uh, they're very similar to this problem, so they're natural a pathway for this. But there's also some a little bit different. DOE also has a lot of nuclear facilities which you really don't want to send humans in, but you can send a robot a lot easier. Absolutely. Uh, And DOE is the Department of Energy. Yes. And also DOE, Department of Energy, has uh, leftover nuclear storage facilities where they put nuclear spent fuel underground in salt mines. They want to track that salt mines because those salt mines are designed to trap the nuclear waste automatically. Basically what happens is it decays and encloses the nuclear uh, waste material. They need to inspect those as well. Again, you don't want to send humans. Absolutely yeah. not. <laughs> and there any other uh, location where you have a GPS denied environment. So what we produce with Dambot is a system that can localize in the uh, GPS denied environment. It can map that environment and it can be either remotely operated or autonomous in that environment. So of course, like we said, uh, Department of Energy, there's also Bureau of Reclamation that owns a lot of dams on the West Coast. So basically what you're saying is that the possibilities are endless. <laughs> sure, yes. I know that you have some big plans for the future. I think maybe a second system, a robotic arm. Mm-hmm. I've heard talk about that. Tell me a little bit about what the future holds for the dam bot and um, what you're working toward. So this year is going to be very exciting for them. But first of all, we are getting a 17-foot robotic arm. Talking to the company, this will be the largest robotic arm they have produced for military or not. And they're the largest supply of robotic arms for military wow. projects. So that's be really fun. It's 17-foot reach. Uh, so we're going to be able to inspect fairly, fairly large structures. We're also getting a second DAMBOT. That's going to be our full-time. We're going to have a development platform and an inspection platform that's going to go out there next year and start actually figuring out how much does it cost to do an inspection, how to transition the data to usable form. What is the usable form? USAGE just stood up UCOP, which is a software that helps districts upload their geospatial data to the cloud that they can use. So we're going to integrate into that so they don't have to use multiple tools and they can inspect both the external parts of the dam and internal parts of the dam using that GIS software. We've talked a lot about civil works applications. Are you all exploring military applications for this as well? Absolutely. We have a sister project almost to say, Rio, that works specifically on military projects. We have uh, SNP, Sewer Network Interrogation Platform, which tries to deploy sensors in wastewater conduits. So a little bit different, but mm-hmm. much smaller platform. We also have uh, MOLS, which looks for low-cost platforms that can enter buildings to check if they're clear or not. Uh, uh, soldiers, I guess. <laughs> sure. Uh, uh, explosive devices, perhaps? Are they going in to make sure that Explosive devices are safe? usually hand-driven uh, robots because okay. it requires a human touch to usually <gasps> defuse <Yeah>. a bomb. <laughs> I can see that. (laughs) 
but maybe to find the bomb first, you can sure. send it an autonomous vehicle and then let a human decide which wire to snip. Is it a red one or the green one? <laughs> Another thing, Anton, when you're talking about the military, you mentioned earlier the ability to, to operate in GPS denied environments, which I know is a hot topic. We had an episode a few months back with Ricky Mazzaro from our geospatial laboratory talking about some technologies he's working on to help with tracking in GPS denied environment. You just kind of talk about the potential, I guess, and, and, and how the, the benefits that you all can offer in that sort of a situation. So GPS denied environment is a hot topic because uh, GPS signal is fairly weak. It's fairly easy to block with off-the-shelf equipment. So we presume that when we go into the theater, our adversaries will deny us GPS at one point or another. So a robot that relies on GPS localization to, to move will just stop. It doesn't have any way to maneuver or find itself in the local frame where it's at or even in the global frame mm -hmm, where it's at. So mm -hmm. uh, being able to localize and move without GPS is integral to design robots that are going to be deployed in the theater sure. in the near future. So It opens up a lot of possibilities. Absolutely. Yeah. So it, the robot does perceive now its world just kind of like we do. It looks at things. It looks for common uh, areas that it remembered before and helps it localize. It's pretty cool how that does that. Anton, this month you and your team will be honored with the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers Innovation Award during the 2021 Innovation Summit, which is a really big honor. And we want to make sure we congratulate you for that, you know, while we're, while we're here together. But Julie, can you talk about that award? What makes the Dambot so deserving of that award? Yeah, we're super proud of Anton and the Dambot team. Innovation is really key to what we're trying to do in the Corps of Engineers overall. Um, we're a learning organization, whether we're talking civil works or military. And um, to be innovative, we really need to seek to understand the problem as Anton and his team has done, and then um, leverage with our partners, work to demonstrate the technology and, and validate it, and then transfer it to into practice. And so I think Anton is really and his team are doing all these things. We're really so honored and, and proud of the Dambot team and, and Anton's leadership in that to really uh, demonstrate this innovative approach to inspecting these conduits and, and the ability to transfer to other types of problems that we have in civil works and military, as, as we all were just talking. Just super pleased and proud of the team in um, demonstrating this innovation and this honor for Civil Works mission and research development area overall. Yeah, this really is a, a shining example of innovation in, in the Corps of Engineers. And, and thank you all so much. It's been a great discussion. Anton, Julie, thank you all for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for being here. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Yeah, we appreciate it. Thank you. Typically, Inspecting dam closure gates involves someone physically entering the tunnel to take photographs of concerning spots and to document anomalies by hand. Using the dam bot not only increases safety, but also collects high-resolution data that can be used for more detailed inspections than currently available. In addition, information collected through multiple scans of the same structure can inform inspectors on degradation over time. These models can also be used to train new inspection personnel and to inform research into structural health monitoring. And because DAMBOT can be rapidly deployed, it can be used to provide safe inspections after natural disasters like hurricanes and earthquakes. The Power of Arctic podcast is a production of the U.S. Army Engineer Research and Development Center. Follow Arctic on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for the latest information. 
You can listen to the Power of Arctic podcast in all major podcast players. Please subscribe and be sure to leave us a five-star review. Visit powerofarcticpodcast.org for more resources. You can also contact us at powerofarcticpodcast at usace.army.mil. That's all we have time for today. We'll see you next time.